Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations. Limited time only. Plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. This is the first ever edition where I, Brandon Howard Thurston, and have been left alone here, out in this empty abyss. I've been orphaned by Christopher Mukigana Harrington, who's been signed away to All Elite Wrestling. He's now the Vice President of Business Strategy there, and I have been left alone, and I, I could look at it as promoted. I've been promoted to the senior member now of the WrestleNomics team, or maybe the only member of the WrestleNomics team, but still the senior member of the WrestleNomics team, the surviving member, and I had to cover the uh, WEQ4 investors uh, report, earnings report, whatever the full name is, as I try to also man the, the controls here. Uh, so I have been hard at work reading financial documents, uh, reading trending schedules, reading KPIs since about 9 a.m. this morning. I went to Wegmans, and I had some granola and some fruit, and then I tried to work at Wegmans right there in the cafe, as I often do, but I realized that I, I, my laptop alone would not be enough. I needed to return home to my mouse and my dual monitor setup. So about 11 o'clock, the conference call started, and George Berrios and Vince McMahon and Michelle Wilson, uh, W executives, had uh, some things to say, which we'll get into here. And then, after that was done, I worked on a, a Fightful article. I talked to the, later on, I talked to the post-wrestling guys, John Pollock and Wei Ting. Had a great time talking to them for about 40 minutes or so, I think. And then um, I completed the Fightful article. The Fightful article is on Fightful.com right now. You can read it. I believe the title is, uh, what is it here? We can pull it up right here on your screen here. If you're watching this on YouTube, this is my plan. I'm going to put this on YouTube and into the podcast feed that you normally consume WrestleNomics Radio on. So this is WQ4 and Full Year 2018 Report. Record-breaking finances. Vince McMahon on Ronda Rousey and declining viewership and attendance. So what I think we'll do is we'll go through this. I'm going to play some clips from the conference call itself as they come up. Uh, some of the clips I did not even reference in the article, but we'll just we'll go through these things as they come to mind. Um, so I think, think the lead story here is that WWE is uh, reporting record revenue of what was it nineteen? I'm sorry, nine hundred and thirty million, which I don't even know is, is is said here, but you can here it is. You can see it in this graph right here, and maybe we'll even let's see if I can take this off of full screen and make this a little bigger. If you're watching this on YouTube, go back to full screen here. You can see a, a graph that I've made here. Showing the, the revenue for WWE, uh, the total company revenue going all the way back to 1995, all the way back to the, the diesel era. Fiscal year 1995, $139 million, And I've adjusted this all for uh, modern inflation. I've adjusted this all to 2019 U.S. dollars. So you can find these numbers way back in what's called the prospectus, where um, if you look at Somewhere in the, in the SEC filings, there is a, a document where WWE first went public and they put out, basically, here's some information about our finances in the few years before we went public. Of course, WWE went public in 1999. Uh, so we know a little bit about their finances before they went public there in the 90s. Uh, we don't know that much 
at least not off the top of my head, maybe there's some records out there. Maybe there's some Freedom of Information Act that people like Chris Harrington or David Bixenspan have scraped up over the years. But this is what I'm aware of. Uh, so my, my point is, I don't know if you can go back to the 80s and get an idea of what the what the revenue was for the 80s in the, in the Hogan, Hulkamania era. But we do know, we've got some Attitude Era stuff here, certainly, right? This is the, the peak popularity, I think everyone would agree, of WWE, the late 90s, 2000. So anyway, you, you, you look here, $139 million in 1995. Got as high as $122 million. This is just revenue, of course, in 2001. And again, this is all adjusted for inflation. So 622 is the peak of the Attitude Era. And uh, that's been exceeded in the last few years, certainly. I think 2015 looks to be the first year that they exceeded that 2001 number. And now here we are, calendar year 2018, $930 million dollars. Uh, this company is projecting a one billion, one billion. That's B with a. That's billion with a B. Who used to say that? Was that Carl Sagan? A billion with a B. That's what they're projecting for 2019, the full current year. Which we'll 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 find that out in February 2020, I suppose. Um, and it looks like on my flightful article, I have posted the the uh, same graph twice. So we will pull up my original Google Doc. And I will fix that as soon as I'm done talking here. So we scroll all the way up here in my Google Doc. We've got the correct graph here. And this shows net income. So when I, oh, when I tweeted this graph, of course, I, I had the audacity to, to tweet it. And uh, my mentions soon turned into a dumpster fire. And uh, so people wanted to know, but I mean, fair enough. People wanted to know about, well, revenue is one thing. But what about profit? So... The thing, one thing that I've learned over the last few years is there's no such thing as a metric that is just called profit, as it turns out. There are profit-like metrics, such as net income, which we will talk about here. And uh, we'll talk a little bit later about uh, operating income as we try to understand what's going on with WWE's live events business. Um, <clears throat> and there's others. WWE uh, likes this adjusted OEBDA. OEBDA stands for Operating Income Before Depreciation and Amortization. Whatever that means, and I'm not an accounting person, uh, so I will not attempt to explain the differences between all these profit metrics, but to say that I think it's worthwhile comparing them as long as you've got the same metric over a number of years. So we've got, just like we have for, uh, for revenue, we have net income going all the way back to fiscal year 1995 when they were losing money in the diesel era. Made a little money in 1996. I think there's some cost cutting, right? That's the story there. Lost money again in 1997. Uh, made some in fiscal year 1998, and then we have the explosive periods of 1999 and 2000. And again, I've adjusted these numbers for inflation. We're bringing in, bringing all these numbers up to 2019 inflation. And uh, for inflation, you've got $84 million in net income in 1999, $86 million in net income in 2000. And uh, now, for the first time, WWE has exceeded those numbers. So in, last year in 2017, I don't have the number uh, off, off the top of my head right now. I would have to pull up the Excel spreadsheet, but just under, this looks like, I don't know, 35 million or so. Uh, but this year, $100 million in net income for a uh, full calendar year of 2018. So that, that is more net income than in the great glory days of the Attitude Era. Um, of course, what, what does that mean? I just did an article for Fightful before today, a few days ago, that was published uh, called WWE's uh, Popularity Assessment, trying to look at how popular uh, has is WWE these days. And the conclusion that I came to was over the last few years, basically looking strongly at the window of 2016, 17, and 18, WWE's popularity has declined somewhat. Nonetheless, they're, they're better off financially, uh, so it looks, uh, than they've ever been. And that's largely because of TV rights and even some money from the government of Saudi Arabia, which I suppose we can talk about right now. Uh, so W revenue uh, for the media other segment. So what have I got behind this here? Huh. Okay, maybe we'll go back to this if I can figure this out. Live television, folks. So we'll go back to look at, at the Google Doc. Let's just stay there. So the media other segment is where WWE kind of hides away the Saudi Arabian money. So we don't have a great idea 
that that is the headline. We don't really know how much money WWE made from Crown Jewel. We have a better idea of how much money they made from the Greatest Royal Rumble. So let's put in this media other segment, and I'm going to try to pull up the uh, the trending schedules here as well. Um, if I go to the corporate website here and go to trending schedules, now we're looking at the trending schedules. You probably cannot even read the the text is so small, but we'll go to you can see scroll down here to this. This is the third page, and you can see the the one, two, three, four segments that WWE breaks its media division out into. So you got the network, you got core content rights fees, which I believe it refers only to Raw and SmackDown. These are TV rights only from Raw and SmackDown. Some advertising and sponsorship money that generally doesn't come up as anything very interesting as far as WrestleNomics discussions. But then there's other, which includes um, W Studios, uh, YouTube money, W.com money, TV reality show money, like Total Divas, Total Bellas, Miz and Mrs. And now the uh, money from the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia uh, related to these this 10-year deal that they've made with Saudi Arabia. But also this year, or also this quarter, uh, this segment also included whatever money they got from the Australia show, uh, Super Showdown, which was in October. So that also occurred in Q4. Q4 is the period from October 1st to December 31st. So... It was easier for us to figure out what what the Greatest Royal Rumble was worth because that was the only big live event that was skewing this number. Could be we, we could compare it to compare this Q2 to this Q2 over here, uh, say of 2017. You know that's about 12 million dollars. This is you know almost 61 million dollars. So it looks like Greatest Royal Rumble was worth something in the range of, let's say, uh, you know, 30 million dollars at a minimum, maybe as much as 50 million dollars. It's harder to say what. Crown Jewel is worth because we don't because we have the Super Showdown in here making things more complicated. So I would say a conservative guess would be at least ten million dollars for the Crown Jewel. Uh, we know that from from Q3, uh, WWE said that they their their profit uh, projections that is their adjusted for EBITDA projections and their revenue projections were uh, hinged on going forward with Crown Jewel. Of course, WWE came under a lot of pressure. Uh, around the time of Crown Jewel, that that event happened on November 2nd in Riyadh. And uh, there was a lot of news because on October on October 2nd, uh, the journalist and Saudi dissident, Jamal Khashoggi, was murdered. And uh, the uh, the Saudi government has since admitted that their, their agents were involved. Maybe Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman didn't know about it, they say, but, but certainly their, their agents uh, were involved in the killing of Jamal Khashoggi. But nonetheless, WWE went forward with it and uh, made lots of money by going ahead and doing this show in uh, in Riyadh on November 2nd. So they made a lot of money there. Uh, Vince McMahon had some interesting comments uh, about Ronda Rousey. He was asked by Laura Martin from Needham, who, who often on these calls, as we like to point out, she gets on there and she wants to talk to Vince right away. So if I can find... The, uh, the Vince response where he starts to talk about Ronda Rousey. And this is sort of in light of the, the rumor or report that maybe Ronda Rousey will be done with WWE, for now at least, after WrestleMania. So this is around the what mark? This is the around the 45-minute 40, mark. We're going to try to play that now. That uh, consumers have. Okay. Um, Ronda Rousey. Um, again, Vince, I don't know if you're willing to, this is a little maybe controversial for you, but Ronda Rousey was an experiment. She built her brand on a different platform. She brought it with her to WWE. I see that you put the Evolution ad, which is awesome, on the Financial Outlook page, which is the Wall Street key page. And I'm just wondering if she leaves, under this hypothetical question, let's say Ronda Rousey leaves the WWE, does that damage the WWE franchise, and does that make the experiment a worthy experiment to bring in people from, that have built rounds elsewhere in the WWE when they may, in fact, then exit and, and hurt the WWE brand. I'm curious as to that experiment and your learnings from this Ronda Rousey experiment. Well, again, we can bring people up from the outside into our environment. It can't be just a one-off type thing because then our, our audience realizes that, you know, that, that's not going to push the, the uh, envelope well as far as their enjoyment of, of what we do. Nonetheless, bringing Ronda in gave us more visibility. Uh, in terms of the initiative uh, of, of reaching more women. Uh, and when you do something like that, uh, 
it allows you to not just use Rhonda's platform from a different nation to come into WWE. Um, Rhonda in and of herself becomes a brand of WWE. It's a different Rhonda uh, than what you saw before in terms of UFC and things of that nature. So when you when you put talent, rub talent, so to speak, up against Rhonda, Rhonda can help us make talent. Uh, and and she is um, she's doing just that, and um, she knows how to do it. She's one of the brightest people we've ever done business with, uh, and the fact that she is a, adapted to the WWE culture so fast, it, it really it really is truly an amazing uh, salute to her as an athlete uh, and uh, as a uh, as a human being. So the Rondas will come in and out, and when they do, you know, as long as we know what those dates are, you, we, you plan around it. The unfortunate aspect of some. Okay, so we'll stop Vince right there, and we'll let him continue in just a minute. But uh, um, so so Vince has some some interesting comments here on Ronda Rousey. Uh, I don't have a lot to add to it, uh, other other than let's see, he makes this comment in here about how uh, Rousey gave us more visibility in terms of the initiative of reaching more women, which which may be true, but is not at least supported by our, our study of. The female viewership uh, in data that's given to us by Showbuzz Daily, which we believe comes from Nielsen. Uh, so let's see here. If we go back to my my other document here, I can find some research that that Chris Harrington did uh, about looking at the uh, the demographics that we get from Showbuzz Daily. So let's see here. I can pull up his tweet from October. So where where Chris looked at. Q4 2017 through Q3 2018, uh, and saw that, you know, we've got, uh, viewership in it for, this is, I don't know what age group this is. I think this is 18 to, to 49 males, uh, down about, you know, 1%, 2%, 3%, 0%, but down much uh, more strongly for the female demographic. And this is across hours of, of raw 8 p.m., 9 p.m. Uh, 10 p.m. So we got down 12%, down 12%, down 12%, 18%, 17%, 14%. And what it really looked like was that the male viewership had dropped uh, in the prior year more. And this was sort of the the female viewership decline catching up with the male viewership decline. And this image that we're looking at now, which I think we are still looking at, yes, we are, uh, is uh, this is raw. Okay, so we can look at SmackDown as well. Mookie has a tweet on that too from October. So Mookie has a tweet on that as well. And he's got a line graph here. Uh, this is the male 18 to 49 demographic for SmackDown. We see the, the male demographic in the gray line, which is the, the latest point in, in the timeline is sort of in the middle here. And the female viewership is a bit lower and as noted in the gray line here. Um, and so what Mookie says is a SmackDown story, which has a lot of baseline noise moving between days and networks. Of course, SmackDown has moved uh, between sci-fi to the USA Network from Thursday to Tuesday to live to having its exclusive roster. That did help viewership quite a bit. But uh, Mookie goes on. Uh, the SmackDown story also shows a big female drop, a negative 11% compared to a male decline of 2% over the past 12 months. Uh, the latest quarter at that time was Q3 was nine, a negative 19% for women versus a negative 10% for men. So just to, just to say that uh, the uh, the acquisition of Ronda Rousey and then putting her on, and, and and by the way, she's only really appeared on Raw, right? But the Raw viewership is down as well. But just it's, it's worth looking at the SmackDown viewership too. Uh, so the appearance of Ronda Rousey on W programming hasn't uh, stabilized or, uh, you know, it hasn't affect it, there hasn't been an effect in female viewership that is... Uh, you know, made made you think that she's drawing female fans or something like that. But okay, so Vince goes on to start to talk about injuries, and it's, it's interesting that you know he gets into such detail here. And, and George Barrios, as we'll talk about a little bit later, went into a great deal of surprising detail when he talked about live events. But Vince just unprompted goes into this uh, talk about uh, injuries and all these people who are unavailable and how that's that's quite unusual. But so we'll we'll let Vince pick back pick back up where he left off. Sometimes in our business is that we, you know, our, our performers are not cartoons. You know, they get hurt. And this year, you know, leading up to where we are now, we've had an inordinate number of, of injuries. And when you have injuries, and again, there's a whole bunch of them, Roman Reigns, 
being a principal among them. And even John Cena, not an injury type thing, but we thought we we're going to have John uh, more over a part of our programming than, than we do. You know, John, God bless him, is making more movies. And even John, I would think, would, would say, geez, you know, uh, I thought I was going to spend more time with what I love to do, which is WWE. He's only been coming in and out, so he's not really a part of our storyline. You lose John, you lose Roman Reigns. Uh, in addition to that, we've had injuries. Sasha Banks, you know, Becky Lynch, you know, who's one of our top female performers, uh, was injured. Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, Bray Wyatt, Charlotte Flair, Alexa Bliss, Braun Strowman, Dean Ambrose, Ember Moon, Samoa Joe, um, Occam from a new tag team, Jason Jordan, Fandango, Big Show, Seth Rollins. You know, it's like we, you've had all these injuries, which is really unusual for us. And they're characters. It's no different than if you were writing a soap opera and all of a sudden your main character wasn't there. You're in the middle of production. What do you do? Well, you very nimbly change you know, the storyline. But it's not as good as the original one. Sometimes it's better because we're pretty good at it. But those are the things that, uh, uh, that, we're fa- that we're faced with. And one of the reasons why television ratings have dropped, and one of the reasons, obviously, you know, from a live event standpoint, that's dropped too because you don't have your... Your favorites on television, obviously, you can't see them at a live event either. So we're, we're wide open. Rhonda's done an extraordinary job. There'll be other individuals coming from different areas that will join us on a long-term basis that will help us as well. Hope that answers. And that answers my third question, too, which was about the attendance drop. It sounds like some of these injuries have hurt the storylines and the content so that it's not secular. You think next year, if everybody's healthy, it sounds like you think attendance might tick back up again. Right. And that's just Vince muttering, right. Uh, that's certainly what it sounded like to me. Um, so it's, it's interesting to hear Vince McMahon, who seems to be so behind you know, WWE as a brand, and there's often on these conference calls, right, you're within these documents, there's... Uh, just a total lack of a notion of of what star power is or how important it really is. It's it seems to be the more secure thing for WWE to do to emphasize the power of its brand, and to not emphasize the importance of individual stars uh, who could create volatility by by their absence. So I don't know. It, it was interesting and, and somewhat surprising to hear Vince go into this this tangent. I mean, he was just asked a question. He just went went right into talking about all these injuries. Um, it, it reminds me, though, he, he says that this is really unusual for us. Um, the, I, I remember around the year 2016, there was some talk of uh, how there had been some effect to business, and there were a lot of injuries around. This would be WrestleMania 32. Uh, this, it was, this is the, uh, the AT&T Stadium, Dallas, Texas, uh, WrestleMania, where there were a lot of injuries going on, and I think John Cena was was out for about the first five months of the year in that year. And there had been an effect to uh, maybe to a, a, a live event attendance. But um, is the is the rate of injury really that unusual right now? I, I question that. And that would take some some studying. And it uh, sounds like something Mookie would do if he was still active in the WrestleNomics business. But um, I don't know. I kind of question that the rate of injury may be, may be above average, but not completely out of out of the norm. But nonetheless... Uh, he sort of blames that on uh, on the effects that we're seeing to attendance and to TV viewership, and uh, so George Barrios goes into a defensive uh, attendance. But let's take a look at, at viewership uh, just for a moment here. If we go to the KPIs, which is the first slide in the KPIs, you'll see a drop in in a viewership for Raw of 15% versus the Q4 of the previous year, a drop of 14% for SmackDown versus the Q4 of the previous year. Meanwhile, USA Network only down 4%. Top 25 cable networks only down 7%. So that's about double. So you could say over this time, uh, Raw and SmackDown were hurt twice as badly as the top 25 cable networks. So maybe that's reflective of some sort of real uh, lack of interest in WWE content. Although you could say, hey, look, you know, Raw and SmackDown were uh, on Monday and Tuesday and uh, Christmas, Christmas Eve, New Year's, and uh, New Year's Eve fell on Monday and Tuesday, so that that certainly didn't help. But would you expect to see a double-digit decline, uh, or a, a decline twice as bad as the decline that Top 25 Cable saw? Uh, I think that's. Uh, I think there's some sort of real effect happening here, um, some sort of real decline happening here, or real moderate decline in interest. So George Barrios will talk about attendance, 
So we'll take a look at the attendance uh, slide in the KPIs here before we get to his specific defense of it. And then uh, while you stare at these column graphs, I'm going to find out what the timestamp was for George Berrios' uh, vigorous defense of, of attendance. So if you look at North American attendance, this is the new number for us right here, Q4 2018. 5,000 was the average North America. North America uh, refers to the U.S. and Canada. I don't know why they don't just call the U.S. and Canada, why they call it North America, because when they run events in Mexico, they, I believe those are thrown into the international bucket. Anyway, uh, Q4 includes the holiday tour, which usually does good business for WWE. In the, these are tickets that you think are like bought as Christmas presents because these are shows that are run on uh, December 26th to December 31st, and they usually run big markets like New York. They always do a, a Madison Square Garden show, and they usually run Chicago and things like that. They actually ran Buffalo here in my hometown this year as well, uh, which I heard the attendance was not good for. But So average attendance, 5,000, down from 5,400 uh, the previous Q4, down from 5,300 in the Q4 before that in 2016. So here we've got, if you look at the red bars here, we've got four consecutive uh, average attendances that are worse than the years before that. So that's concerning uh, if I'm a WD investor. Uh, at least, though, you've got international attendance up here. And it, it, I don't know that this includes uh, Super Showdown and Graves Royal Rumble. I would guess it doesn't uh, because... Those events are not being counted in the, uh, at least financially, they're not being counted under the live events division. They're being counted under the media division uh, because, as, as we mentioned before, they're in the other media segment. So, I, I, because if they were in this in this average, I would expect this average to skew even higher than it than it does. It is higher than 5,200 of the of the Q4 in 2017. So, so again, 6,900. Uh, there, so at least uh, international attendance is up. It had been down in quarterly comparisons in the uh, the two prior years. There were no international events in Q1 uh, this year, and uh, and, a, and a downward trend in uh, in Q2 overall and in Q3 overall. So so that's what's going on there. We've got a decline in average attendance. Um, not more events being held. 64 in Q4 2018 versus 68 in Q4 2017. Um, so not really a ton more events being being held here, although you, and, you know they would defend that they had big events like uh, Grace Royal Rumble and Crown Jewel and uh, and the Super Showdown. So anyway, you get into the the conference call, and if we pull up the investor presentation, uh, let's see here. George Barrios goes into a a uh, he wants to give some additional perspective on just what's going on with W's live event business, particularly in North America, where we're seeing those consistent declines. So if we go to minute 11 and second, let's see, 11.15 um, here. Our attendance at our North American events declined 7% to approximately 5,000. Regarding our live events, I thought it would be helpful to provide broader context on our North American business. Turning to page nine of the presentation, I'd like to focus on three key points. First, over the past decade, total annual attendance at our North American events and revenues from ticket sales at those events has followed a steadily increasing trend line. Second, of the 310 main roster Raw and SmackDown events in 2018, only 113 of those were events where we created video content and monetized that media through content rights fees, as part of our WWE Network subscription service. And finally, for those 113 events where we created and monetized video content, our quote-unquote TV and pay-per-view events, average attendance has generally been growing or stable. So that's the gist of what he's saying there. He just wants to let us know that there's total attendance over these years that he's showing here from 2011 to 2018. Total attendance has gone up, although it did go down this year from last year from 1.5 million uh, this year, down from 1.7 million the prior year, and as you can see, these column graphs he's got here, he's got a. Uh, he, I, I I would accuse George Barrios of doing some WrestleNomics here. He's a uh, he's he's had a thought and he's taken to Excel and he's created graphs and charts. So I'm I'm, I'm proud of George Barrios for, for going to this trouble for us. And, and again, like I said about what uh, you know Vince McMahon's um, unexpected uh, going into detail about about injuries and about absences. 
Uh, this was an unexpected going into detail by, by George Berrios here. We usually, I mean, nobody asks him a question, but he, he, they usually, they pick and choose what information they want to make public. Uh, probably like any other publicly traded company, they, they make public what they have to make public. But this was interesting and not expected. Uh, you see the average attendance declining gradually over time while the total attendance does go up and they have, I believe they have run more events and that's exactly what they're showing here into the 300s here towards the end of this timeline in 2018, starting with about 224 events in 2011. And of course, a lot of this is helped by, um, this, the split of the roster, going back to a roster split of Raw and SmackDown, which happened in 2016, although the number of events was increasing already. Again, these are only main roster events. Um, and he's showing that ticket revenue has been growing, although it is down by a few million in this year versus last year. That is 2018 versus 2017. Um, and he wants you to know that really the TV attendance, the, the TV uh, tapings for Raw and for SmackDown pay-per-views, those are, are very stable. And, and these numbers show that they are. Uh, 7,500, 7,500. 7,700, 7,600, 7,600. So that's a really stable average paid attendance for TV tapings. Now those only account for, uh, let's see, 37% of all WB events, right? You got 33%, 101 TV tapings, 12 pay-per-views, but 197 non-media, he calls them, non-media events, what, what we sometimes call house shows. <clears throat> so by deduction, you, you, you know that you know, this is stable. Okay. So the, all these, uh, these media events, he calls them the TV tapings. They're growing or stable. So what must be, uh, causing the, the attrition here are the house shows. Uh, he, he doesn't, uh, to my ears, get into any explanation about why house shows are suffering the way they are. Um, and, and I would argue that if, if the house shows are, are the thing that, that's declining and if, if house shows, uh, are not not even making money. Possibly, we saw in Q3 that uh, the live events business uh, had a negative operating income. Uh, it did a little bit better this year. Let's see if we can pull that up in the trending schedules and look at operating income for live events. Operating income for live events in Q3 was a negative 1.1 million. This quarter, it was a 1.4 million. Um, so I, I would, if you're losing money in a in a whole quarter on live events. I would venture to guess that the events that are losing money could be the house shows. And if that's the case, you know, why not lighten the load and maybe lose less money? Maybe you've got a, a, a better net income. Maybe you've got better profitability by running fewer live events, by not running the events that lose money, if they are the house shows that are losing the money. Uh, since those are the ones that have got the declining attendance, apparently. Um, I, th I think you'd... You do a, a service to the workers by, you know, to still pay them enough, the same amount of money, but keep them off the road and let them be at home. Let them rest their bodies and heal. You'd improve the morale. You'd improve their longevity. You'd make them more available, uh, for your TV tapings and for other non-live events that you do still run. Uh, Vince McMahon just went into a, a big tangent about how having all these injuries are, are hurting, uh, their ability to promote and they're hurting the viewership and it's hurting attendance. Well, maybe if wrestlers weren't having to be on the road and having to travel and having to bump so many nights uh, per year, maybe they would be less injured and they would be available for, uh, for more events. Um, let's see here. So if we go back to the, to the Fightful article, I've got George Berrios talking about what we just said he talked about. And, uh, you know, Vince in Q3 said that they would reimagine live events. And, uh, we got no news about what exactly he meant about that. But, uh, and you can see here, I've, uh, added a graph in this Fightful article showing that the operating income for the live events business was $16.6 million in 2018. And, and that's a downward trend. If you go back to 2015 of 22 million, 2016 of about 25 million, 2017 of again about 25 million, it's dropped quite a bit down to, uh, 16.6 million here while revenue has been better. Uh, so we talk about the W network, uh, W network subscribers were higher than expected. They project every quarter. They give a projection about what they anticipate, uh, network subscribers being, uh, this quarter, they were projecting 1.56 million 
and ended up reporting for Q4 1.585 million, so a little bit higher uh, than they had been projecting. Uh, the, in Q1, they're projecting 1.59 million, which is basically the, I mean, it's just a round number. Uh, it's the, basically the same number that they're having that they reported in, in Q4. So they're basically reporting that they're, they expect a flat quarter over quarter growth, which would be a first for this service, uh, from in this, in the, the change of time between Q4 and Q1. Uh, in Q, so last year, for example, uh, 1.484 million subscribers, and then that increased to 1.4, uh, excuse me, yeah, that, that increased to 1.558 subscribers. So it suggests to me that the, maybe the W network, uh, growth, which I think is largely driven by, uh, consumers becoming more comfortable with st streaming video technology and becoming more comfortable with the idea of, of, uh, for, for buying, buying the service, being able to put it on their television in their homes and just being comfortable with the recurring payments or whatever it is and having the broadband to, to actually subscribe to it. Um, so, so maybe we're getting to a point where, uh, WD is going to, where this, I always say this, this metric, this W network subscriber metric, while it's very interesting, doesn't reflect, uh, uh, a change in popularity. It reflects, uh, I think popularity and, Pro people being interested in the product or being turned off by the product is a factor in, in all these numbers, but the largest factor so far has been the willingness of people to adopt the streaming technology. And that is what has been largely driving this growth. Of course, the product is popular enough for the growth to happen. It's a sufficient condition, but I think what, that's what's generating all this upward trend in subscribers. So maybe what we're going to see sometime soon is finally some, some flatness or what they, some, what do we, uh, you know, in investment talks sometimes call lumpiness. Uh, maybe we'll see some year over year declines and then maybe we'll eventually get to the point where this W network subscriber number means, uh, can be looked at as, as a popularity metric or as a, as an indicator of interest, sort of like we would be able to look at, uh, pay-per-view buys for individual events. You know, look at the WrestleMania, uh, buy number and compare it to last year's WrestleMania buy number. You know, for the last, uh, few years, they've been looking at, uh, you know, they would give you the, the number right after WrestleMania and it's higher and higher. And that doesn't mean to me that each WrestleMania was more successful than the last. It just means that this technology was more acceptable and uh, people, consumers are more willing to accept it, uh, in a, in a given year versus the year prior. Which, speaking of WrestleMania, uh, W Network subscriber numbers, George Barrios, uh, mentioned in this, uh, conference call that they are no longer going to do the Monday morning after WrestleMania report and give you an update on just what this number is here. So he said, given the, the success of the W Network, they are, they don't think it's informative to investors to do that anymore, which I found suspicious. Um, so let's see. If we go on to merchandise, merchandise, they break out into venue merchandise. That is merchandise that's sold in those, in those trailers. If you've been to a WWE event lately, they, they have all this, uh, all these shirts and whatnot in, in the trailers and in the stands inside the venue. And they break it out into that and, and W shop, which now they call W shop slash e-commerce because I think they're working with Amazon and probably other vendors to sell their merchandise online. So you've got online purchases of merchandise and you've got purchases of merchandise at venues. So that's what we've got here. Purple bars are venue merchandise. These bluish gray bars are online merchandise sales. And uh, venue merch is down a little bit over the last few years. I just did in the, in the W Popularity article, I talked about how uh, venue merch per capita, which is a lo loosely correct way to say it, it's really like venue merch per paid attendee. Uh, that that number is down. So you might say, well, of, well, of course, venue merch is down, but but attendance is down. Well. I, uh, over these, these few years, um, venue merch per capita is down a little bit. It's right about on par between 2018 and 2017, but, uh, 18 is about 50 cents lower than, uh, 2016. Do I dare to even open up this Excel spreadsheet and try to show that to folks who are watching on YouTube? Let's see if I can. And you will see it here in this graph right here. We zoom in. Make, make that even a little bit more visible. So this is basically venue merch per capita. Uh, in Q4, it was about $8, and, which is a little bit up from Q4 of the prior year. Uh, but that's, but it's quite a bit down. It's about, uh, what is that? Almost 40 cents down from 2016. Let's see. 
So there's that. And if we look at uh, WB Shop revenue, which we can see in this graph over here, the revenue just from e-commerce slash W shop that was actually down from the prior year, uh, Q4. So you got a lot. So Q4 is, is always their biggest quarter for, for W shop revenue. And that's driven, uh, intuitively, I would guess that that's driven by people buying Christmas gifts. And, uh, but that was a little bit down. Those down by almost 3 million in, uh, in 2018 versus the same quarter of 2017 and, and down by, uh, over a million compared to 2016. So. And if we look back at our annual comparison, uh, W Shop on the whole was down by a few million compared to last year. Uh, after, after being on a, a really strong upward trend that started, let's see, that started in 2012 at about 15 million and just increased every year, year after year, uh, going into 2017 until 2018 went down by a few million. So, and we just talked about this uh, e-commerce e revenue. Uh, W gave a update on the UK TV deal, and I think we can hear George himself talk about this at about minute 23, second 22, and we will let him take it away. We complete um, the UK agreement towards the back half of 18 hasn't happened, so I, I think it's fair to say that all the agreements will be completed substantively by the middle of the year. Um, and so we'll announce those uh, as they get done. We're not going to uh, put a specific date on, on any one agreement at this point. So that's just George saying that uh, so one of the analysts had asked him, you know, what is the deal with, uh, with the UK TV deal, which he said was supposed to be announced by the end of 2018 and hasn't been announced. And uh, he, he basically all he could say was it's not done yet, but maybe by the middle of the year you'll, you'll get an announcement on that. And that's also when they projected that they'll have their India uh, TV deal done. Of course, the UK and India are the two biggest uh, TV deals after the US deals, which just got a big increase uh, this past spring and will go into effect, I believe, in the beginning of Q4 2019. Uh, let's see. NXT Live Events is uh, one of the last things I think we'll talk about here. And I've actually been talking for almost 45 minutes. It's incredible. Uh, NXT Live Events, you know, formerly NXT was only running in Florida, the Florida Loop the Largo loop, as some call it. Uh, it completed its third full year in that mode. And really, these events, uh, this national touring or international touring NXT brand, I believe they started a little bit in 2015. I think the, uh, going to Cleveland was one of the first times that they did it in, in about a March 2015, maybe, and maybe some Arnold Classic stuff around that, too. But 2016 was the first year that they had a full year of NXT being a, uh, a full touring brand. Uh, and so this was, still, of course, they did it throughout 2017, throughout 2018. Uh, made So this is just live event revenue. This isn't considering anything like, I don't know, NXT merchandise that's being sold. Uh, that would all be grouped into the venue merch and WB shop stuff that we just talked about. And this money, by the way, would be included in the live event segment as well. It's just broken out in the an uh, annual report or the, the quarterly reports. Uh, the annual report just came out. Moments ago, before I started this recording, so I got these numbers and I processed them in an Excel spreadsheet and I produced this graph uh, that you can see here on YouTube. Uh, so $7 million in a live event revenue for NXT in 2016, about $6 million in 2017, and about $6.5 million in 2018. So that's pretty consistent revenue. Uh, total attendance, however, is down. Average attendance is a little bit down from when it started, about 1,000 to begin with in 2016, about 800 in each of 2017 and 2018. But meanwhile, the average ticket price has increased quite a bit, uh, starting at about $37 in 2016, going all the way up to $44 uh, here in 2018. And about the same amount of events run each year. This Again, this includes both Florida and the national or international tour, uh, 189, 188, 183 in 2018. So there's that. Uh, and it, and the question that people often will ask about is, well, is NXT, uh, how much money is NXT making and is covering the cost of the performance center? And, uh, I would suggest that no, it's certainly, I mean, if we're only talking about, uh, several million dollars, maybe uh, let's be aggressive, a few million more in merchandise. Um, this money is not covering the costs of the performance center and all the costs associated with it whether that be staff or overhead or whatever other costs might be involved in the performance center. And it's certainly not 
covering that plus uh, the cost of the talent when you're signing. Uh, I know they're not uh, they don't have Nakamura in NXT anymore, but for some of these years they did, right? But they're they're signing talent. To, they're probably spending more and more on talent. They have more talent there than ever. So I mean, this is nice that they're making some money here. It's it's a uh, they're recouping some of the the money that they're investing in this brand, but you have to justify this brand, I think, as as a developmental territory still, uh, even though, you know, it it is celebrated celebrated as much more than that, and and it's uh and it's been a popular thing for fans, and it does add value. We should add it should it does add value to the network and something that was talked about earlier in this call, which I don't think we'll play the clip of, but they were asked about uh, they were asked by an analyst about whether. Uh, NXT might appear, might uh, you know, they might make a deal with Fox to put NXT on Fox. And the the rumor there has been that maybe uh, FS1 would like to put NXT uh, on 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 its network. Um, so maybe that's something that would happen, and that that would make a uh, you know, in theory, NXT even more valuable if they were able to put NXT on a on an FS1 and get a, a nice TV rights fee for it. Uh, but nonetheless, the point I was trying to make is that in, for the WWE Network, whatever money the WWE Network is making, you could credit some of that to NXT because um, NXT is a thing that's viewed uh, a lot on, on the WWE Network. Uh, in this call, they they put NXT over as, uh, you know, after the pay-per-views, it's the number two thing on the network. So that is, I think, almost all of it. We'll go to one more thing here where... Uh, an analyst asked about a new wrestling promotion, about the 28-minute even mark. Uh, we'll play that now. And then, you know, you, you, you mentioned investing in your talent base um, in 2019. We've, we've seen in recent months a new wrestling promotion announced. Just wondering how this is potentially impacting the market for talent and, you know, whether you're seeing more cost inflation there than normal. Thanks. Yeah, too early to tell. You know, we wouldn't talk about the specifics of that. You know, from our perspective, you know, we think we are the premier uh, global organization and greatest wrestlers in the world uh, want to be in the greatest platform. So uh, we have a lot of confidence in our ability to manage that. So there's George Berrios. Uh, uh, clearly what they're referring to there is all elite wrestling. Uh, I think that's what that uh, that analyst is referring to, a new wrestling organization. Uh, that is doing double or nothing on on May 25th. Uh, Dave Meltzer believes that they may have a TV deal to announce by then. We'll see. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how if if AEW becomes a, a, a promotion that has a TV deal, uh, maybe this year or maybe into next year, just how W will will talk about that or avoid talking about that as uh, as as that promotion grows. Um, so let's see here. The one other thing that I would just want to mention here is that something that I have no idea how to explain or talk about is W announced that it's, it's having a stock repurchase program. Uh, so I've uh, asked around and asked on Twitter if anyone knows what, what exactly this means. Uh, WWE today announced that the company's board of directors has authorized a stock repurchase program of up to $500 million of the company's common stock. Uh, maybe this is ver- uh, related to the news about convertible notes which are also a difficult subject for me to explain. Uh, but I was told that, well, maybe this is something that's, uh, they, they, the number of diluted shares has increased uh, over recent years, and I think you can see that. Yeah, you can see that in here on the trending schedules uh, where, I mean, look, you've got about $78 million or 78 million diluted shares in 2016, about 79 in 2017, and then we're all the way up to almost $89 million, uh, in 2018. So maybe they're trying to drive down the number of diluted shares they have and ultimately drive up the stock price. So, uh, and I've also, uh, some people are skept- uh, speculating that, well, maybe this has something to do with making it more easy for them to sell the company, or maybe this has something to do with, uh, executives who have, um, who get bonuses based on what the stock price is. When we see the proxy statement, though, every year, I know they, they do list the number, do, do list the, what motivates, uh, the bonuses for executives, and I don't think that stock price is one of them. But who knows? Speaking of the stock, let's see. the On the stock market, I'm recording this about 7 p.m. Eastern, so the stock market is closed for the day. Uh, they closed at about $83.5, up f- almost 5% on the day. Uh, over the last six months, they are you know, they're, they're, uh, about even, maybe a little bit better than even. 
Uh, the stock got as high as $96.97 before uh, the, the end of Q3 and before Crown Jewel stuff happened and before the Q3 report came out and showed declining attendance. But here we are after you know, some speculation that maybe the stock would hit $100, uh, whatever it might be. It's uh, It's been fairly stable after ex- some explosive growth following and surrounding the uh, the spring news that we had a impressive TV rights deal. Uh, new round of TV deals with Fox for SmackDown and with NBC Universal for Raw. So I think that's about all I have to say about the WWE uh, Q4 and full year report for now. Uh, this was interesting to talk into the abyss here without Mookie. And uh, we will, uh, I will give you a clip to, uh, to sign off with here from one Vince McMahon. But if you want to read my, uh, my article here on Fightful, you can find that at Fightful.com. Again, that title is WQ4 and Full Year Report. If you want to read my WE Popularity Assessment, that is also on Fightful. And uh, if you just click on my, my author link, you can find it there. You can follow me on Twitter at Brandon Thurston. Uh, you can follow my wrestling school, Grapplers Anonymous, on whatever social media platform you prefer. And if I can find it, let's see here. Privilege to turn the call over to Vince. Good morning, everyone. Uh, for the year, we achieved record revenue uh, and, uh, and profit as well, demonstrating we continue to effectively execute our strategy. In other words, we know what we're doing. Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.